you know, I have my parents to thank for, you know, I grew up very poor, but they always told me, you can do whatever you want. You will mm -hmm. succeed. And, and they really believed in it. And I grew up believing because you're a kid, you're going to believe what your parents are going to tell you. So you as a father, and I'm not a mother, like I'm not in a position to give you any, you know, a fatherly advice, but just looking at what my parents did, you know, to me and how important that was in my upbringing and in my confidence and really in my belief that I can do things. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you wanna become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're gonna learn a ton. You will learn from real life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're gonna share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. I am super excited today. I'm very humbled, very grateful, appreciative that we have a little bit of time uh, with Ellie Perlman. How's it going, Elliot? All is well, Abel. How are you? I'm doing great. I'm even better that you're here. I'm excited. I have been following you for some time, like I said, so it's pretty cool to get you here on our podcast. So if you don't know Ellie, she is one of those amazing uh, woman entrepreneurs, amazing you know, woman real estate investors, and just all in all, just crushing it in real estate. Forget about well, you know, man, man or woman. She's she's one of those, uh, I guess, rare individuals that can take you know her absolute dreams and make them come to fruition in a very large way. Three hundred and twenty million dollars of assets under management today, and they're still working on. There's another deal. There's a fund going. There's all kinds of stuff we'll we'll dig into today. But she's the founder and CEO of Blue Lake Capital. And they basically, you know, buy multifamily. So they operate, own a lot of assets, about 2,300 units plus across the U.S. So that's 2,300 doors. And if you're not familiar with the units, be just think of one apartment building, maybe 100 units, you know, somewhere in there. Multiply that by however many it takes, it gets to 2,300 doors. So tenants, renters uh, that live in their communities. And she came you know, from her past, she was a real estate lawyer. So she's got her MBA from MIT and golly, they're starting a new fund that's just $100 million in size. So anyways, great to have you here. Ellie, thank you very much. I appreciate it. Let me turn it over to you for a second. Just in your own words, please give us introduction. Tell us who you are and what you do. And we'll start a great conversation here. Yeah, absolutely. I think you've done uh, probably a better job than you know, you did a, a great job, probably better than I could do. But just really quickly, I'm a multifamily sponsor, owner operator. So basically, uh, we have everything in house, and my team purchases deals. We're negotiating. We have an acquisitions team. We're negotiating deals, 
We um, put financing on the properties. We raise money from investors and we invest our own money in the deal. And then we invest in every single deal, my, uh, my family and I. And then we manage the asset for investors so they don't need to negotiate themselves or sign on a mortgage or anything like that. They Basically, what they need to do is, of course, consult with their attorney and CPA if they would like, but review our offering. They invest in our deals, so they wire the money, and then they receive monthly distributions. That's how it works. And we normally plan to hold assets for about five years. We only do multifamily, at least at this point. We like Class B assets with value add opportunity. And normally we sell them after, I would say, no, the, the usual business plan is five years. But we are exiting two deals right now um, that we've uh, held for. We've been holding them for about 20 months now. So um, sometimes it's going to be sooner than five years. Got it. Well, very good. This is awesome. Just, you know, right down the fairway, just a lot of fairway. In Ellie's case, to our listeners, we have two types of listeners. A lot of them, I would say those that want to be passive investors, they just want to put their money in the right type of real estate. So you're speaking exactly their language. And then to some people that want to do uh, what you and I are doing. And, uh, you know, I don't know if it's your level or to your level or not, we want to go be active in, investors in the deal. So this is awesome. And on your type of opportunities, what markets are you in today? And where where are you investing in today? I like to be, generally speaking, in markets where people are moving to because that fuels the demand for my properties. And so I'm uh, the, the nerd that I am. I like to rely on data. And I'm looking at the data and constantly you know, analyzing it, reading reports, having conversations with property managers, with brokers, with my acquisitions team, asset management team. And right now where we see the growth is in five major markets that they're not core markets, but they're major to me, Texas, Florida, Georgia, the Carolinas, and Arizona. These markets are attracting people and they're also attracting companies. And so when more companies are moving there, you have more people that move also. And they also move because they're affordable, they're growing. And so when people move to those markets, basically, this is where I see a huge demand for multifamily, for rental properties. And this, these are the markets that I would like to stay in. And of course, they're landlord friendly, which it cannot hurt. Yeah, I love it. Yeah, it's just looking at the, the data. Uh, the data will tell you a lot about where you should be going and where you should be headed. And I, I love the, the, you know, the conversation on it. There are so many different data points you can look at, but a population growth one is where's everyone headed, right? We know that when, when uh, demand goes up and supply doesn't quite meet it, so you're like, wow, prices follow. So we're trying to figure out how to ride that wave. And if the corporations are coming and we got more or jobs, it's like, oh, okay, well, great. I, I want to be in Texas too. And Florida, uh, I think I heard Arizona and one more I probably missed, but uh, those are those are all great markets. I'm, I'm in the Texas. I'm trying to expand myself. So this is cool. How, how long have you been real estate investing at this multifamily kind of syndication level? How long have you been here? I've actually been in the States for about six years or so. And in 2017, I started Blue Lake Capital. So I started my career back in Israel in 
2007 as a real estate lawyer, then transitioned to property management, and then moved here in 20, that was March of 2014, and went to MIT and then graduated, moved to California as far away as I could from the snow and the cold. And yeah. um, shortly after after graduation, I started Blue Lake Capital. Man, that that is a that's a run right there. And MIT, huh? That that little school, that uh, yeah. <laughs> institution of technology over in Massachusetts, huh? Let me tell you something. This is one of the most humbling experiences I've ever gone through because I used to be an A student and be at the top of the class, you know, high school and law yeah. school. And then you go to a school where you're actually everyone. Everyone is a star. Everyone is smart. Not only that. They're much smarter than you. And mm. you sit there with you know, students that have exited startups, multi-million dollar, you know, startups, yeah. and with people that are so smart, they can build financial models in their sleep. And so the very, very humble and experienced, but um you, you definitely leave with different perspective and understanding of business, financials, you know, literacy, you, you become a lot smarter after you go there. So, um, it, it took me, it wasn't easy to get in, but I'm, I'm glad that I did. I agree. I'm, I'm, I'm super excited for you. And I'm sure a lot of dedication, a lot of perseverance, the determination to finish all the hard work and effort that you put into there is now paying off. So congrats to you. And, and that's awesome. So I heard it, you came from Israel, you know, tell us about the transition, even that from different country, uh, different culture, you know, I'm sure there was plenty of obstacles just in, in that. Yeah. I mean, in a sense, I always wanted to move to a country that will allow me to build an empire. And Israel is, is you know, it's a great country, but it's a little bit harder to build a business than to arise because it, that there's a few families that control the economy. And it's really hard to get a market share in the real estate industry there. And I had the idea in my head that this is the self-made men country. And I learned about the history of the U.S. back in, in college. And so I decided that America, in America, I can be a self-made woman and I can make it happen. Exactly. So, you know, I thought I should connect myself to a strong brand name. I should educate myself and learn the American culture. And, you know, what a better way than to join a um, a top school. And, and that's what I did. So, when it comes to the challenges, it was taking a huge loan to pay, uh, you know, very expensive, uh, you know, um, tuition back then. And of course, I was fortunate enough to pay it off a while ago uh, by working hard and, and basically, uh, you know, paying it over time. But that was, I think, one of the main challenges I'm trying to think about, I mean, there's so many challenges when it comes to real estate right now. You know, if you ask me about that, there's a lot, but just moving here, there was no cultural shock or anything like that. I don't think so. Com coming in, I'm I'm sure there's a, uh, going back to that time and place for some reason, I, I think you oversimplify it uh, and maybe you are just like destined to, to crush it. You're like, not focus on the dream, focus on what we're going to do. You may not have seen all these little obstacles or challenges. You just kind of steamroll right through them, so which is awesome. And then uh, breaking into commercial real estate as a as a woman, you know, my my this is me and my wife's conversation. When we were in tech, 
she worked at the same company I did. And we, we worked at a quote unquote, a, I guess a true unicorn. We went from $100 million to $2 billion company, right? A startup to, to fruition. And I worked there for 10 years and she worked there for like five or six. And I remember her telling me in that time that there are males, you know, guys that are in her spot, that are same kind of roles that she was at work and outperform. She was better than and she was like, I know they're making more than me just because I'm a woman. And I go, yeah, it's so hard to break in to tech in that tech world. And there's all the data points on, you know, number of men versus women, et cetera. But commercial real estate is, I mean, there are probably many, many industries that are same thing, but you managed to push through it, rise through it. And now you're like, you know, one of the top in your area, woman or, or man, this is awesome. I'm, I'm excited for you. What's a, maybe you can give a little bit of encouragement uh, I have a three-year-old daughter and I'm like, I would love to have that insight or any, any other woman listening right now that, I mean, you can absolutely do it. So any, any words of advice or wisdom that you can give them that are listening? I don't really, you know, see myself as a, a woman in a male dominated industry. And I know some of you are going to say, oh, that's BS. Of, of, of course you are. And it's well known that this is a, a male dominated industry. But I never think about it when I walk properties, when I talk to brokers, when I speak with investors. It's all about mindset. If you have, if you come from a place where you say, you know, I'm uneducated or I'm poor or I'm a woman or, you know, whatever it is that you think that is going to make you inferior, then you're always going to be inferior. And, and that's going to direct you towards a failure more, you know, it's more likely to happen than a success. So before I came to the US, I had it back in Israel, I had this guy that I really trusted, I worked with, and he was much, much older gentleman with a lot of life experience. And he taught me a lot about EQ and human interactions. Mm -hmm. And I learned a lot from him. And then when I shared with him, my plans, you know, to leave Israel and to go to the US and start a real estate company, he basically looked at me and he said, you're never going to succeed. You're wasting your time in uh, those words. And I said, why? Uh, and he said, because you're not a wasp. And I said, what's a wasp? I've never heard that word until mm. then. And he explained to me there's hierarchy and only certain people in the U.S. succeed. And that was the last conversation I've ever had with him until today. So that's the thing. I, I never see myself as different than others. It's the same. I'm the same. I'm a real estate investor and that's my identity. So I think to your question, the biggest advice I can give is separate yourself from the victim kind of mentality or put yourself in a certain box. You just, just really just be you. Cause if you all, even if you think so and you behave differently and you being very professional, but you think it, subconsciously you're going to make decisions and behave in, in ways that are going to position you as a victim, as someone who's less capable. And it was never part of my, you know, of, of, uh, of my mindset. And maybe it's, you know, I have my parents to thank for, you know, I grew up very poor, but they always told me, you can do whatever you want. You will mm -hmm. succeed. And, and they really believed in it. And I grew up believing because, you're a kid, you're going to believe what your parents are going to tell you. So you as a father, and I'm not a mother, right? I'm not in a position to give you any, you know, a fatherly advice, but just looking at what my parents did, you know, to me and how 
important that was in my upbringing and in my confidence and really in my belief that I can do things like going into MIT, I hired consultants, one of the biggest consultants in Israel that help people get into, into business schools in the US. And they said, mm-hmm. getting into MIT would be a stretch. You're not the type they're looking for. You're not, your scores are not high. Grades are not high. You, you can't do it. I, we don't think you can do it. So why don't you focus on, I'm not going to name the schools, but they're trying to direct me to other schools. Yeah. And I said, no, I want to get the best. I, I I know I can get there. So as a father, if you instill that confidence in your daughter and you tell her, of course you can do it. And if you say it over and over and over, she will grow up believing you because she's going to believe whatever you tell her now. She's going to grow up to be the person that you tell her she is. I'm super excited that you're here. And thank you very much for sharing, Ellie. This is this is really the the thing I think that matters the most. There's so much technical stuff about commercial real estate. We can learn about population, demographics, about underwriting and making assumptions and pro formas and look at all of the way that we're raising capital, which I want to talk a little bit about with you before you go. But this right here, the six inches between your 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 ears, that piece of real estate has to be one first. And if you've been listening to enough of our shows, Ellie, one of the things I tell everyone is for, for 10 years prior to me making our first acquisition in commercial real estate, I bought single family houses for 10 years. And the main reason was because I, I had a belief that I carried when I was 26 years old. And I said, there's no way I can buy an apartment complex because that's I read this book, Rich Dad, Poor Dad. I read Ken McElroy's book, which is the ABCs of real estate investing, which I recommend you read. It's really good if, if you're listening it's a great commercial real estate syndication book on how to, you know, anyways, but I read this book and I go, oh, this is awesome. This is what I want to go do. And then this little other voice came in and said, you can't do that. You're 26 years old. You don't have millions of dollars. There's no way you can buy an apartment building. So what we did was for the next 10 years, I go, ah, oh, I'm still in real estate. I just bought single family after single family after single family after single family. And it took me a number of years to break through this limiting belief in my own mind to say, I'll give you permission. You can go do it. Now the little voice is like, let's go. <laughs> so mm-hmm. it was just a really a mindset shift. And that's why I love, you know, really asking some of these questions. And it's been awesome hearing you say it. So I hope my yeah. daughter listens to this one day and, and hears it. Yeah, absolutely. You know, I heard something really smart this week that the wealthy and the the successful people, what they do differently than others is that they are okay with uncertainty when they do something, they take the risk of figuring it out, they commit to it, and then they figure it out. Most people want to figure it out first, but by the time they figure it out, the opportunity is not there. So when I was purchasing multifamily, I started, you know, I, I started low and, and slowly grew from a $13 million, uh, deal to 28 to 80. So you wow. say, wait a minute, I'm taking an $80 million deal, for instance. How do I, can I even raise that much? <laughs> figure it out. If you, because yeah. if you want, like any syndicator, if you want to have the money there, you can start a fund. But most syndicators don't have funds. So if you're starting, you need to figure it out how you're going to raise 20, 30, 40 million in two months yep. or in three months. You'll figure it out and you need to be comfortable with that risk, with that uncertainty, but knowing that you can do it without really knowing that you can do it. <laughs> I love it. 
yeah, let's get, let's get after it. That risk, you know, where a lot of people are uncomfortable in it, especially, you know, even I talk to a lot of professionals, which I'm sure you do as well in the capital side of it. A lot of professionals that work really hard, they make a good amount of money and their comfort level is the fact that they have a lot of money saved up. But that next barrier is, well, how to go from one to 2 million to 4 million to 10 million. And, and there's another level or layer of risk beyond just, you know, putting 200 grand in your education and now going to work for 20 years. And there's another level of risk to say, well, I finally made this money. Let me go deploy that capital. And, you know, you got to, if you can overcome it, you can achieve amazing things if you're, if you're okay with that, living in that a little bit of uncertainty for a few, and then you may miss, like it just, you have to be okay with it or commit to make it happen until the next round. Right. And I, I love it. So anyways, thank you so much, Ellie, for the mindset. And uh, while I have you here before we, you know, before we go, so let's talk about some of what you're doing now. You're raising, I don't know, let me turn it over to you for your fun. It's a big fund. It's millions and millions of dollars. What are you going to be doing with it? How do you raise it? How do you deploy it? Just give us some of this good stuff. We can learn any nuggets we can from you. Yeah, absolutely. So we have launched about a month ago, we've launched our first fund called Rev Fund, and that's a $100 million fund. And it's basically the fund is going to use the power of diversity by basically purchasing portfolio of assets. So the fund is going to purchase multifamily assets, similar to what we've been purchasing so far. And investors, instead of writing, let's say, $250,000 check and invest it in one deal, that money is going to buy investors' shares in multiple assets, in multiple markets, multiple locations. So there's the risk that you're taking by investing and putting your money in one deal is significantly being reduced. Of course, like in any investment, there's there's a risk, of course, that goes without saying. But th that's basically what the fund does. So we uh, we purchased, we actually going to close in on uh, June 30th. We're closing um, our first purchase in as part of the fund called mm -hmm. Estates of Crossroads. And that's um, open to accredited investors only. And um, so that that's a 2002 vintage, 344 units, beautiful asset um, in Duluth, which is outside Atlanta. This is where all the growth is happening. To tie back to our the beginning of our conversation, you mm -hmm. look where you know where people are moving to, and the northeast side of Atlanta is booming. The average rent increase is anywhere between five and ten percent, and so very very impressive growth. And this is exactly where I want to be, where you see rent growth, when you see population growth, when you see job growth, and they're all tied together. Hello, hello. You're listening to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. If you're enjoying this podcast, then I know you're serious about achieving financial freedom. Are you ready to create your own path through multifamily investing for yourself and your family? then I know you're going to appreciate our investor's guide to multifamily investing. It's titled Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. We use this guide to invest ourselves in $93 million worth of real estate. So we're going to show you the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications and how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So the best part, 
If you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating. I'm going to give you a free copy of our ebook. So please take a moment to do that now. Once you've done that, go to 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Make sure to let us know you left a review and we're going to send you a free copy. So thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast. We really appreciate it. Yeah, that's the fund that we're creating and we're very excited. You know, the fund is is an amazing tool. I've noticed that the assets that we've been purchasing as part of a portfolio before we started Red Fund, they tend to overperform because you have more assets and even if one of them is performing exactly based on, on your projections, you have a few that can produce more. And it can also compensate for those who, who maybe not be performing as much as you want. But the, the bottom line is basically higher. The bottom line result is higher than your projected returns. So um, that's why I wanted to hone in, into the power of the portfolio and de-risk in as much as possible the investment for investors. Got it. Oh, that's awesome. And that, you know, I the way you're doing that diversifying across many multiple assets makes sense, especially if you're saying, hey, you usually come in conservative on your underwriting and your analysis, and then you crush it on one. One really outperforms. Another one does perform. The other one hits projection. But overall, mm-hmm. if your money's invested across three of them, now you've got a, a good average across a yeah. lot of real estate, which is really cool. And then the de-risking side is like, yeah, so something happens on one it's okay. The other two or three are overperforming. And so kind of carry all of our numbers to a, a better return overall. My level, that very different than yours, but on our level, we did fund one and we did a fund of funds. So we we chose a, a fund, a highly performing team and professionals and et cetera, that were doing this huge, massive fund. And we we raised capital in our fund and stuck it in their Their investment was like a million dollar minimum. So we just, we raised ours and put it put ours in uh, our investors as an LP in their deal. So we kind of got a taste of it. And that blind pool fund for me, it was like, wow, it was a a little hard for me to say, hey, put some money in. Trust me, we're going to make some good investments. But, you know, different track records, different different experience levels. You've done $300 million plus of real estate and you've raised, well, even if you do the rough math, 25%, probably a little less, a little more, whatever. Like yeah. $75 million plus of capital raised. How does that even happen? You know, help, <laughs> help somebody that's just kind of getting into this and they go $75 million. How did you raise that much? And over what time? And where did it start? I, all the questions, any insight you can give us here? Well, it was a lot more than 75 million because it's now close to 35% I love um, it. I love on it. the purchase price. But you do it, you can do it over time. I scaled quickly because I did two things. One is I used the the power. Oh, I did three things. One is I used the power of social media. And that's yeah. a great tool because you don't have to, you know, I don't really believe in buying Google ads and AdWords or whatever it is. Just put, use, the, you know, use LinkedIn, use Facebook. These platforms are great and you have a lot of investors there and it's free for you to use. It's crazy. So right? you start there. It's just crazy. Second thing is give something to investors without pitching them right away. 
find out what they care about, find out what you know information they need, and then deliver it to them and they'll listen to you. And guess what? When they're interested in investing, who are they going to go? To someone they haven't met before and it's the first time they're speaking with you and you pitch them or to someone that has been putting content on a podcast or writing about things that they care about and they read and educate themselves and they trust you. And so they reach out to you because they they like the content that you're providing. So give them something of value without expecting anything right away. That's the second thing that I've done. And I have a podcast, a blog. I also write for Forbes and I put content in basically. I think that's where I originally saw your name was mm-hmm. some Forbes articles. Yep. You see, that makes sense. I'm just writing about things that they care about, things that I hear investors asking, you know, when they ask me a question or I'm a passive investor myself. So because I'm diversifying, you know, my money, of course, I invested in my deals. But for instance, there's some debt funds that we don't do debt funds. So I invested with other sponsors. And so things that I see from my perspective as a passive investor, I write about it and then I know what to improve also. I want to put emphasis on with Blue Lake. Uh, So that's the second thing. Just put content out there and give value to investors. And the third thing, and that's the the, the thing that I see most sponsors are starting. They're not really doing that, which is, you know, don't try to do it all. Spend money and hire people. Even if you pay them an hourly rate of $15, $18, $20, Pay them to do some of the work for you. You think you're saving money, but any minute you're busy scheduling or or posting something and doing the technical posting, this time you can use to basically speak with investors, to be on stages, to write content that matters. So don't try and save a few thousand dollars. And if you don't have that money, then partner with someone who can do some of those things you can save money up front, but you're going to grow very, very slowly. So mm. I, again, took the risk and I hired people and I built a team. Coming out of MIT, I, I saw it as a startup. And yeah. startup always hires people or it's maybe two or three founders that are doing most of the, of the work, but they always have people. They invest in people. Only it was my money that I invested. I didn't have outside investors. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And the team will help you do a lot more that will help you put your name out there and will make sure that investors are coming to you instead of you trying to reach out to investors and chase investors down because it never works this way. Right on. Mo- it? Mostly it doesn't work this way. That's great. Uh, great insight. Cause I know, like I said, uh, some of our listeners are new syndicators, new operators and trying to figure out how to, how to do it all. You know, if you if you haven't figured it out, I'm I'm not you, Ellie, but our listeners, right? We put out like three to five shows a week right now, and we've been doing that since last year. I have a podcast editing team. I have a podcast. They create some artwork and show notes and publish it out there, and they help us. And I have I have a a basically a social team now. I have uh, somebody helps me with LinkedIn and Facebook, and now Instagram as well, and just you know, trying to grow. So I think spending that little extra virtual assistant, it's amazing. Thank you, Elisa, for your help. So all of those things just help me focus on like underwriting deals or looking at new opportunities and talking to new investors. So that way we can, you know, figure out how to grow. And uh, anyways, a lot of time invested, but 
uh, look at it as a startup. I love it. One, two, three. I heard Grant Cardone say the same thing about social that you just did. Uh, he had a he had a, his cell phone. He was like doing a talk or something, and he was like, "The the, the way I've grown is like this thing right here, mm-hmm. social media." I'm holding up my phone, and he goes, "If you haven't figured it out, it's like a TV in everyone's pocket, and that little TV, everyone has access to these commercials, and I don't have to pay anybody anything to make commercials. It's commercials on the TV that I put out there." So I thought that was awesome. I love your giving value, right? It's you know we give value first. That's a I think in the I'm an old sales guy too. I've been a sales guy forever. Ellie, so I sold stuff for IT, IT hosting, and it was uh, always the the past mindset before 2005 or something was the salesperson was the expert. You're coming to me, I give you all the knowledge. Well, as time went on, the salesperson was less of the expert because the internet age, information age. All of the data was available to everybody if as long as they went and searched. So if you can now provide like hand serve the data here, let me give you some insights that I've learned. It took me a lot of hours to learn it. Here it is for free in a nice whittled down nugget or your Forbes article. Now someone's like, oh, this is really good content. Who's Ellie? Right. And then uh, now, you know, just just continue to uh, to do so. So that's mm-hmm. amazing. At a, at a basic high level. Love it. Totally agree. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Ellie, I would be remiss. Let me make sure if I missed you giving your contact information for those that want to be in your world, potentially want to invest from you or learn a little bit from the content that you're giving out, watch your podcast, whatever it may be. Who do you want to reach out to you and where should they go? What's the best place for them to get into your world? Yeah, absolutely. So accredited investors are more than welcome to reach out to me Honestly, you can Google my name on Google, but uh, you can also go to ellieperlman.com and you'll have all the information there. I have some free content and some free guides that you can download. And in the bottom of the homepage, you can basically have, you know, my information. There's a phone number, the office phone number and our email address. And if you're interested in discussing investments, then, um, Investors can also, you know, leave their information. We have a dedicated uh, place on the website to do so. And that would probably be the best way to reach out to me. Very good. Thank you, Ellie. Uh, I have a few more questions before you go, though. Yeah. So the mindset of raising capital, right, is one thing from a passive investor's perspective. So give the passive investors that are listening a few of the same nuggets that may apply to their world. How do they vet a good deal? How do they vet a good team? How do they vet a good market? I hear the deal, the team in the market all the time. I say it all the time, but you know, just any of your insight from, from your view, uh, what are the things they should be doing to make sure they're deploying capital correctly? Yeah, absolutely. I think it's mainly a combination of two or three things. And actually my website has a free guide about the five critical deal components that every passive investor should examine. I would say in today's reality, the first question that I would ask is, how did you perform during COVID? And not because I'm expecting every sponsor to say, we've been performing great on every asset, but as a passive investor, you want to see how they react. Are they Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. trying to say everything is great? Are they being truthful? Because in real estate, you know, statistically, it's impossible to have a home run on each and every deal. We didn't all win. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, exactly. Otherwise, everyone would have done that, right? There, sure. there would be no risk. But you want to see how you want to 
kind of assess how the sponsor is the, is is interacting with you and how truthful they are. If they're telling you, yes, we had some investments that did not, you know, work the the way that we wanted to, and and we did not perform, and this is why, this is what we're going to do differently, and these are the type of sponsors that I personally would choose to invest with. Those mm-hmm. who have integrity to tell you what was wrong, to tell you what they've learned from it and what they're going to do differently. So that's one really important question. I would also, you know, so, so that's part of it and understanding the performance metrics, if they have any performance reports. So we share performance reports with all of our investors, you know, projections versus actual, so they can see across the board how we are performing. Because it's one thing to say, we're very successful. We have you know thousands of units. That's great. But how are we actually doing? Are we projecting eight percent cash on cash and delivering? Are we falling or are we falling short? It's important to understand. So that's one big component. The other one is to make sure that the deal is conservative enough because I can tell you, you know, we have our own proprietary underwriting model. It's so easy. I can take almost any deal, play with some assumptions, move some numbers around, and you're going to have a beautiful deal. It's so easy to manipulate the numbers. So yeah, if you don't want to dig into the numbers, some things that I see investors miss, they don't look at the T12 expenses and T12 income or T3 income and compare them to the year one NOI and mm-hmm, see mm-hmm. how the current NOI is increasing to year one NOI. Because if you have 20, 30% increase between current operations in year one, either it's a lease up and right now it's 40% vacant and that makes sense to increase the NOI significantly. Or so it's either the deal of a deal of a lifetime or someone was a bit more optimistic than they should have. So just look at that. Look at the incoming cap rate versus the exit cap, even though cap rates have been compressed for many years now. And just make sure you you feel comfortable with the property management team. I've seen so many assets that have been operating and and performing. And once there was uh, another company that was brought uh, to manage the asset, the asset did not produce the same results. That's another thing to to look at. All right. Thank you, Ellie. Thank you very much for your time uh, and, and wisdom, knowledge, insights. Really good. Is there anything else we didn't cover that you wanted to, or something I w- you're hoping I asked and just didn't get a chance to? Anything at all? If not, and any last wisdom uh, before we go? I think we covered pretty much everything. I mean, I can talk about real estate for we will be <laughs> sitting here for hours and hours. I know. Um, we'll just talk about it. Yeah. Yeah, but but I think really observing, I think how sponsors behaved, communicated, and performed during COVID, three very different metrics. That's really gonna show you who you feel comfortable with, who yep. was communicative, who really told you what was going on, and who you feel comfortable with, because when everything is great, then everyone is successful, right? At least it seems like it. And so I think this just observing, especially as a passive investor, how communication came from one sponsor versus the other, who you felt more comfortable with, who actually performed, who who did not perform, that because it's such unprecedented, it's still unprecedented, it gives you a good understanding that in times of crisis, how 
your sponsor behaved, communicated, and performed. I think, uh, in a sense, unfortunately, we're lucky to experience it because you you really know you know which partners you can yeah trust and invest with. Hopefully, we're not going to experience another pandemic. I'm hopeful. Statistically, oh, yeah. I can. Hopefully, we had the rough that one. Yeah. Yes, that that I'm very um, optimistic there. But um, yeah, I mean, it's right. I mean, real estate has been very solid, especially multifamily. There's not as many deals as we would like. And there's a lot more buyers buying multifamily for a good reason. Uh, yeah, so. it definitely taking a few more to underwrite. Uh, yeah. You know, being newer to the to the game, I, th- I thought it was hard in 2019. I thought it was hard in 2020 and it seems hard in 2021. So, so I'm yeah. like, uh, I talked to a few people that are like, well, we started early. So it was a little easier to find these deals at 50K a door. But anyways, as things rise, it's, it is what it is. It's uh, not everyone will get in it and and we'll find some good deals along with you all. And that this there's there's plenty of deals, plenty of investors, and we just got to go get, find them, right? Just mm-hmm. keep turning yeah. over rocks. Yeah. <laughs> so Ms. Ellie, thank you so much for joining. I really appreciate it. Again, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. Uh, if you heard something today that provided you value, I know you did. Go to our podcast, subscribe, rate, and review. Go check out Ali's uh, podcast and, and get in contact with her as well. I would be blessed if you told her that you heard uh, her on our our podcast. would be awesome. And then, uh, Ellie, thank you very much for joining. Absolutely, Abel. Thank you. Thank you for having me. All right. It's been a pleasure. Thank you, everyone. I'll see you on our next show. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast with your host, myself, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from industry experts and commercial real estate investors who follow their dreams and achieve massive success. Before you leave, let me ask you a few questions. Did you enjoy this episode? Did you learn something valuable? Was your mind stretched to what's possible and what you can achieve? Do you want other experts just like the one you heard today? If you answered yes to any or all of those questions, then please take a moment to subscribe to the Five Talents Podcast. Give us a five-star rating. And most importantly, leave us a written review. Tell us what you liked. Tell us your favorite guests. Give us any feedback. I'm excited to learn and improve so you can get a more valuable show. So thank you again for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.